Good afternoon. It is a joy and blessing to be here. There is no better way that we could be spending our time than in praise to our Lord and opening up his word, the words of our almighty creator, and allowing him to speak to us. If we've learned anything in our nation over the last several months, it's that our world is very divided. Uh, we're, we're divided over... At its core, our, our worldview, the lens through which we see things around us. People are divided over what they see as the biggest problems and threats confronting our nation right now. Uh, we're, we're divided over what we see as virtue and what we see as vice. Uh, by which facts we're willing to give more weight to, or, or maybe more accurately, which lies we're willing to put up with uh, or willing to believe. And so in the midst of all this controversy in our nation over a great many things, uh, it, it seems that truth is harder than ever to find. And yet truth is something that for the Christian should be of the utmost importance. Truth is indispensable to our lives as disciples of Jesus. John 14 verse 6 tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John 17, 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Earlier in John 8 and verse 32, he says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We're told in John 4 that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. In Ephesians 6 that was referenced in our Bible class today, we are to gird up our loins, the very first part of our armor, with the belt of truth. In Philippians 4 and verse 8, when it talks about the things that we are to meditate or think upon, you know what tops the list? Whatever is true. Proverbs 23 and verse 23 says, Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom and instruction and understanding. As Christians, we recognize that if we want to pursue Jesus, we need to pursue the truth. That if we want to be sanctified, we need the truth. If we want to be set free, we need the truth. If we want to be pleasing to God in our worship, we need the truth. And so we as Christians need to have an unwavering commitment to truth, a relentless pursuit of truth. But how do we know if something is true or not? As we said, in our, our society today, the, the world seems full of, of lies. It seems that politics and, and the media have kind of made a sport out of who can tell the best lies or, or the most persuasive half-truths. Uh, and on a spiritual level, the Bible warns us time and time again against false teachers, false prophets, false apostles, false doctrine. How do we identify truth? What I want to challenge us with today is to, every, in every facet of our worldview and our thinking, to ask the question, why do I believe what I believe? And we're not going to get into a great deal the evidence for our belief today. We can, we can focus on that in other studies. I, I want to get back even a step before that and say, okay, well, why? What, what, what's at the heart of the issue? When I see different things in the scriptures or see, hear somebody teaching something or saying something, how do I react? How do I identify what is true within my life? Um, because if we have a genuine commitment to truth, 
It's going to show. It's going to show in our approach to the scriptures. It's going to show in our approach to life in general. So do we formulate our beliefs about the world in which we live, about ourselves, about God's will, the way that God wants us to? What I want us to focus on today, we're going to talk about four uh, bad reasons to believe what we believe. Four wrong reasons. And then we're going to talk about two good reasons. Starting off, we might believe what we believe because it's what I feel to be true. What what the preacher or the newscaster or the social media post said about this issue is consistent with how I feel about the issue. Therefore, it must be true. I'm going to use a few kind of modern examples and we're going to make some some more spiritual applications. But, uh, you know, when it comes to our global pandemic, you, you might say, well, I feel very afraid about this pandemic. Uh, and so when somebody says something that validates my fear, well, then they must be the one who's telling the truth. Or you might say, well, I, I don't really care much about this. It's, uh, it's not a big deal to me. And so when somebody says something that validates my lack of concern, well, then they must be the one who's telling the truth. We may not realize it, but we've kind of made our own feelings about the issue the standard by which we decide what is true and what is not. And if that's how we approach truth, then from that perspective, how I feel about homosexuality, how I feel about smoking and drinking, how I feel about baptism, how I feel about instruments and worship becomes the standard. And I may, in fact, I I may or may not be correct in my feelings about it, But if that's the standard, then I'm only going to be actually following God's will when my feelings happen to line up with God's feelings. The Bible warns us against this approach to truth. In uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You know, modern society uh, kind of takes it for granted that follow your heart is good advice, right? We, We hear things like you do you and listen to your heart, pursue your dreams, be true to yourself, do what feels right. You know what God says? God says, your heart has some serious issues and, and you need me to come in there and fix them up. That, that's what God's saying here in Jeremiah 17. We can't trust our hearts. We can't follow our hearts. We need to let God take control of our hearts. We need to let him search within them and test them and mold them into what he wants them to be. Proverbs 16 and verse 25 tells us there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We can't just follow what, what seems right to us. If I'm saying, well, I, you know, I think that, that God would view things this way. Well, it doesn't matter what I think. That's not the standard. It doesn't matter how I feel about the issue. And my feelings may not guide me wrong every time, but Proverbs 16 verse 25 tells me for sure that they're going to lead me wrong in the end. It's going to lead to destruction. 
And so I need to surrender my feelings to the Lord. Let him guide my heart. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. It doesn't say follow your heart. It says you, you better guard your heart. You better keep good care of it. You better tend to your heart. It can't be left to itself. We can't just let our heart go on autopilot and take it wherever it, us wherever it wishes. We must cultivate our hearts. Like, like the good soil in the parable of the sower. Uh, you know, the, the heart, the condition of the heart is not the standard of whether or not the seed has the power to produce. No, we need to cultivate our hearts so that we can respond correctly to the seed. So that we are prepared to let it do its work within us. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How are we going to know what the will of God is? How are we going to know what is true, what is right? He says we're going to have to allow our minds, our hearts to be transformed, to be renewed. Our thoughts, our feelings can't just be followed. They need to be changed. They need to be molded and transformed so that we can follow the truth of God's will. And so if in any area of my life I am determining truth by how I feel about it, I need to take a step back. And make sure that, that I'm taking great care in how I approach uh, what I believe, really on any issue. But secondly, maybe uh, slightly differently, I would say, well, it's what I desire to be true. Again, kind of giving us some more modern applications here. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I do not want to wear this mask. <laughs> I'm very tired of wearing this mask. And so I, I would like to believe that I don't need to quarantine myself and I don't need to stay six feet apart from anybody. And so I'm, I recognize I'm much more inclined to believe things that would tell me that that's what I get to do. And whether or not that's the case is not dependent on how I feel about it or on what I desire to be the case. Often what I want to be true and what in fact is true are not the same thing. And so that can't be the standard. What I desire to be the case cannot be the standard. Because from that perspective, we might reject the Bible's teaching about baptism because I, I don't want to believe that my family members are lost and that they're not in a right relationship with the Lord. I might reject what the Bible teaches about marriage, divorce, and remarriage because I don't want to believe that I don't have a right to get remarried. Anything in scripture that doesn't support my lifestyle and how I want to live uh, either becomes twisted or ignored altogether. And so we need to be very careful about allowing our desires to become the standard. Uh, turn for a moment, and I forgot to change this on the PowerPoint. It's 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And look with me in verse 1 through 5. Starting in verse 1, Paul writes to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the, to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You see that there in verse 3? It says there's going to, to come a time, and I think perhaps there, there's always been a time, where people seek out teachers in accordance with their own desires, with their own passions. You, you can always find somebody to tell you what you want to hear. But if the only voices that I ever listen to are the voices that are going to tell me what I want to hear, then I might as well not be listening at all. I'm just ultimately following my, my own desires. God's word isn't intended to give us affirmation. It's not intended to affirm the way that I want to live my life. God's word is intended to give us transformation, to change us. We need to make sure that we're not trying to mold God's word to fit what I want and how I want to live. We need to make sure that we're allowing God's word to do the molding of me. And so we need to be willing to accept reproof and rebuke, correction, as it talks about here uh, in 2 Timothy 4. In season and out of season, when, when it's what I want to hear and when it's not what I want to hear, it doesn't matter. I need to be uh, willing to let God's word be the standard. My desires are not the standard. God's word, the truth, is the standard. I, I want to look back at that passage that Luke read to us a moment ago in Jeremiah chapter 42. Jeremiah 42 you, you may not be that familiar with the book of Jeremiah, but if, 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 if you remember one story from Jeremiah, I'd encourage you to become familiar with this section here in chapter 42 and 43. Well, what's going on here is the Babylonian captivity ha has already taken place. Babylon has come in and, and destroyed Jerusalem and taken many people away into captivity. But Jeremiah and, and a remnant are left within the land. And so the remnant is there, and we see in chapter 41, Gedaliah, the governor, was assassinated. And so they're left without somebody looking over them. And they come to Jeremiah asking, well, what, what should we do? What does God want us to do? And you, and you notice there in verse 5 and 6, the attitude that they at least portray through their words. In verse 5, it says, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word which the Lord your God sends to us. Whether it is good or bad, some versions say favorable or unfavorable, pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. That's a good attitude. That's a good attitude that's expressed here. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if we think it's good or bad, if we like it, if we don't like it, we're going to do what God says. Well, look over at chapter 43. Because throughout chapter 42, Jeremiah goes on to tell them that God wants them to stay right where they are. And he doesn't want them to go down to Egypt to take refuge. If they stay in the land, God will watch over them. At the beginning of chapter 43, it says, When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people, all these words of the Lord their God, with which the Lord their God had sent him to them, Azariah the son of Hoshiah, and Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, you are telling a lie. 
The Lord our God did not send you to say, do not go down to Egypt to live there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. They didn't live up to what they said, did they? They said, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's pleasing or displeasing, if it's favorable or unfavorable, we're going to do what God says. And then Jeremiah tells them what God says. And they say, that's a lie. Why, why, why did they identify what Jeremiah said as a lie? Was it because that there was some, you know, glaring inconsistency with what Jeremiah was saying and what the divine revelation had shown them in the past, that the facts weren't lining up? No, it's that that's not what they wanted to do. That's not what they wanted to hear, and so they identify it as a lie. Do you think that ever might be what we do? You know, their statement in chapter 42 is exactly right. That's exactly the attitude that we need to have, but we need to make sure that we're not just saying it, that we're actually doing it. It's very easy for us sometimes to, to, to say what sounds good, to say that we're only going to do what God's word says, to say that we're only going to, to be objective and, and, and pursue the truth at all costs. But brethren, that's hard. That means there are going to be some times where what I want to be the truth and what are the truth are not the same thing. And I need to have the type of heart that when that happens, I'm willing to, to live up to what they claimed they were going to do there in chapter 42. So this should be a warning to us to be very careful that our own desires do not become the barometer, the litmus test of truth. Because saying that we are being objective and actually being objective are not the same thing. But thirdly, maybe it's what I've always thought to be true. My father was born into a world where segregation was the norm. And even after the schools integrated shortly after his birth, uh, many of the churches continued to remain segregated because they thought it would help keep the peace, because they thought that uh, it would allow each congregation to better maintain its influence among their own communities. But as my father grew up, he eventually had to come to the realization that that was wrong that that was against everything the Bible teaches about the peace and the unity that God's people need to have. And just because that was the world that he grew up in, just because that was what his own father advocated for within the church, didn't mean it was right. And so even to this day, he's tried to reach back out to some of those people in his younger years that he had not handled the right way in trying to bring these churches together. I think we need to recognize that none of us were raised with 100% correct perspectives of the world. Not, none of us were raised fully understanding exactly what God's will is supposed to be for our lives. And so even those among us who may feel like how we were raised was, was more wholesome and more in line with what God desires, for us, even those who learn the scriptures from a young age still have to stand back and challenge our own perceptions of things. Just because that's what I heard growing up, just because that's the way things were growing up, doesn't mean that that's what God desires of us. And so no matter how wholesome our upbringing, our previous understanding and beliefs about 
things are never a safe haven of truth. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves holding to tradition and defending party lines rather than holding to the truth of God's word. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Starting in verse 1. It says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus uh, from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father and mother must, must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he he'd not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. But there's nothing inherently wrong with tradition, right? In fact, some of these traditions here had a good aspect to them. The, the tradition of them washing their hands. You know, is, is washing your hands a good thing? I think especially in, in the current situation, we'd all say, yes. Yes, washing your hands is a good thing. Then what was the problem? In fact, is giving to God a good thing? Well, certainly. Certainly giving of our possessions to the, the service of the Lord is, is a wonderful thing. What was the problem? They elevated their traditions, even some things that within themselves might have been good, to the level of divine command. Even to the point that they were violating the divine command to hold up their traditions. Do you think that might be something that we could be guilty of? Let, let me give you an example. Brethren, American patriotism is a good thing. We can be very thankful for the country in which we live. And many of us yesterday celebrated the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. Even within the Declaration of Independence itself, we see language that harkens back to biblical principles. Those are things we can be very thankful for. But brethren, American patriotism is not a biblical virtue. America didn't even exist when the Bible was written. And so we need to recognize that if my patriotism causes me to alienate or mistreat people of other cultures, other languages, other traditions, that I have allowed the traditions of men to get in the way of my service to Christ. My primary allegiance, my primary citizenship is the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom. You know where my strongest patriotism should lie? With his kingdom. And so we need to be very careful. There are some good things, some good traditions that we can be very thankful for, that we can rejoice in even. But if we elevate them to the level of divine command, and if we allow them to get in the way of us treating other people the way that God would desire for us to, then we're becoming just like the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 21, you remember where the Pharisees 
ask Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus says, well, I'll answer your question, but let me ask you one question first. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From God or from men? And in Matthew 21 and verse 25, it says, And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Do you see the, the first reasoning there? They say, well, if we say this is from God, then he's going to say, well, then why didn't you believe him? And we can't back down from what we've said in the past, right? We can't back down from what we believed in the past. It's, it's going to make us look bad. And so we certainly we can't answer that way. Brethren, is that us? I'll tell you, I've, I've read a good many debates of brethren in the past. And many times there is an attack against consistency, right? We, we forget about the issue, and we start attacking the individual and saying, well, you said such and such last year in this sermon that you preached, and you said that it doesn't matter what I said. If I was wrong, I was wrong. What, our goal here is not just consistency. Our goal is truth. And so, brethren, it may be that something that I teach from the pulpit could be wrong. And if it is, I pray to God that somebody would show it to me and that I have the courage not to, to hold well, I can't back down from what I said. Whatever I believed in the past, whatever I've taught in the past, that's not the standard. God's word is the standard. The truth is the standard. I need to be more committed to truth than I am to myself. Or else we might just become like the Pharisees. Fourthly, maybe I believe it to be true because it's what others believe to be true. Here in Matthew 21 and verse 26, the next thing that they say, we say, well, we can't back down from what we've said in the past. And if we say that it's not from God, well, then we fear the crowd because they all believe that he was a prophet. So sometimes we may stand for what we stand for, say what we say because we are afraid of how people are going to react. Maybe, maybe it's our family. Maybe it's our friends. Maybe it's society in general. Maybe it's, it's the experts and the, the authorities, the academic community. But brethren, it is so easy for our perception of truth to be influenced by the people that we respect and the people that we care about. And, and we'll talk about, there, there may be a legitimate aspect to that. Um, but often, that steers us away from the truth. Who we care about, whose opinions we care about, and the people that we look up to become our standard instead of allowing God, who we should care about the most, and God, who we should respect the most, to be the standard. For example, if you have a family member who is a police officer, you may view the current unrest about racial injustice and police brutality in a much different light then if you have a family member who had a police officer plant drugs in their car and was falsely accused, right? Because of the people that you care about and the people that are around you and their experiences, it's going to unquestionably taint your, your perspective of what's going on. 
it's nearly impossible to avoid any bias based on who we are around and who we associate ourselves with. But we need to have the courage to confront and challenge our own biases, to recognize the areas that I may not have a completely objective view here, and be willing to confront that, be willing to approach that honestly and objectively, even recognizing the areas that, that I might have a tendency to lean one way or the other. Look with me in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, I, I want to get back to this idea of, of allowing people that we respect or people that we look up to to be the standard. Here in John chapter 7, starting in verse 45, the chief priests and the Pharisees had sent some people to go and to grab Jesus and to bring him before them. And it says there in verse 45, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees uh, answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. You see what's going on there? These people come back and they say, well, I don't know, some of the things that he said, they, we hadn't heard anything like this before. And we, we were astounded by it. And what's the response? Do any of the authorities, any of the experts believe in Jesus? Well, in fact, one of the experts speaks up, <laughs> Nicodemus, and says, well, maybe we need to consider this. And they say, well, if that's what you think, then, then you're not one of the experts, right? You can't be in our club. You know, you, you need to go back and study a little bit more. Do, do you think that ever happens among us? Does that sound familiar? You know, the experts all agree. And if they don't agree, well, then they're not part of the experts, right? I, and it's interesting later on in John chapter 12, Notice what it then says about the authorities. In John chapter 12, verse 42 and 43, it says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. What these Pharisees say wasn't even true. No, in fact, many of the authorities did believe, Nicodemus himself being one of the examples. But they were going to stay silent about it. They weren't going to say anything because that's not what the consensus view is, right? That, that's not what the authorities, by and large, believe. And if we speak up and we say that we don't agree with it, well, then we're just not going to be part of the experts anymore. I think we've heard that in the scientific community. We've heard that in the religious community. We've heard that in the political community. Often... We, we get this, this group think, and if you don't agree with it, if you don't agree with, with those that we're setting up as the authorities here, well, then, then you just don't get to be part of the club anymore. And I'll tell you, brethren, this scares me because it doesn't just happen in the scientific community. It doesn't just happen in society and politics in general. It happens in the church. And I have a great deal of respect 
for the people within the church that, that taught me growing up. I have a great deal of respect for my parents. And I am very thankful for the, the religious traditions that have influenced me in my thinking. I, I think about 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, where Paul tells Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Paul even tells Timothy, when you look at the character of these people that have taught you, when you see their genuineness and their sincerity, that it's legitimate that that should have greater weight to you. You know, if, if you see somebody's fruits and you see that they're good and honest and right, well, you give some weight to what they're saying, right? There's nothing wrong with that inherently. But brethren, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who they are. No person besides Jesus Christ can be my standard. And I fear that there may come a day where if I'm going to be honest, I need to stand up for God's word in opposition to what some of my brethren might be teaching. I pray that God gives me the wisdom to see when that is and the courage to stand up. Galatians 1 and verse 10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Brethren, if we're going to be servants of Christ, our standard cannot be what anybody else thinks, right? That doesn't mean that we can't learn a great deal from other people. And if we're humble enough, we're going to be listening to other people that we respect. But at the end of the day, we need to make sure that we are standing firm on God's approval, on his word, and on his will. And so let's talk about two reasons, positive reasons for our belief. Do I believe what I believe because I have honestly investigated it? I need to recognize all my personal biases and do my best to check them at the door. I need to push aside my feelings, my desires, my past beliefs, outside voices. I think we all have those, right? It's not that we're devoid of feelings and desires about things. But we need to recognize them. And we need to work uh, against them to make sure that we are simply and honestly asking the question, is it true? John 7 and verse 17, Jesus says, If anyone wills to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I speak, I am speaking on my own authority. You know, most often our struggle with truth is not so much just a struggle of having the information or the intellect. The, the biggest issue about truth is whether or not I truly want the truth. Right? Whether or not my heart is where it needs to be. And Jesus promises that if my primary goal, my primary motivation is that I genuinely want to do God's will, I'll find the truth. But is my heart where it needs to be? John 10, verse 37 and 38. Jesus told those who were rejecting him in verse 37, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Brethren, Jesus himself, the Son of God, 
is telling the people, don't just take my word for it. He's saying, if there's not evidence, if this is not where the facts point, then don't believe it. God doesn't want us to have a blind and baseless faith. He wants us to have a faith that is grounded on reason, on truth, on evidence. And so we need to be the kind of people who pursue truth, who follow the facts, to honestly evaluate all of the information. But more often than not, the problem comes down to not a problem of information and intellect, but a problem of the heart. In Luke chapter 8, in this uh, parable of the sower, what's the difference between the soil that accepts the seed and the soil that doesn't? Is that the one just didn't have the intellectual capability of the other. You know, the one just didn't have all the information or the opportunity of the other. No, it's the condition of the heart. And we're told in Luke 8, verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Brethren, let's make sure that we investigate the facts honestly. Truth is indispensable to the Christian life. And so we need to make sure in every facet of our lives that what we believe, how we view things, comes down to honest evaluation, and not only honest, but diligent. Perhaps my problem is not outright dishonesty as much as it is laziness. Maybe I haven't rejected the truth, but I've neglected to pursue it the way that I need to. You remember in John 7, at the end of that passage where Nicodemus speaks up and says, well, uh, verse 51, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? What's the response that he gets there in verse 52? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. Why weren't they willing to give Jesus a hearing? You know, Nicodemus says, well, maybe we should at least listen to what he says. And they shut him off because they say, no, we already have all the information we need. We, we know he's from Galilee and there's no prophet that arises from Galilee. <laughs> what, what's the problem here? there's a couple of problems. Number one, Jesus wasn't born in Galilee. If they had done their investigation, they would know he was in fact born in Bethlehem where they all expected the Christ to come from. And number two, if they themselves had done exactly what they're asking Nicodemus to do and searched the scriptures to see if any prophet came from Galilee, they would have read Isaiah 9 where it specifically says, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Yes, the Old Testament did talk about Galilee and a light coming to this place of darkness. Nicodemus was not the one who needed to do more searching and seeing in this case. I, I, you know, maybe Nicodemus took their advice, searched and saw, and maybe he, that's why we see him later being at the tomb with Jesus. He did look into these things. But these Pharisees say, well, we already have it all figured out. Is that us? Brethren, if we think we have everything pretty well figured out, we are in big trouble. We need to have the humility, the diligence, the sincerity to challenge our thinking, to dig deeper, to relentlessly pursue the truth wherever it leads, because God is truth. And if we want to find him, 
And we want to find the truth. In Acts 17, verse 11, we read about those in Berea. When Paul and, and uh, Silas come there, it says, Now these Jews were no, more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Is that us? Are we the people who are going to dig deep, who are day by day not going to look into God's word just to affirm what we already believe and what we grew up with and what we want and what we feel, but are we going to look to God's word to challenge us, to see what is the truth, whether in fact these things are so. So what about you? What about me? Why do we believe what we believe? Proverbs 23, verse 23 says that we need to buy the truth and sell it not. Are we selling the truth for our feelings, for our desires, our traditions, our social acceptance, or just our laziness? As the people of God, we need to relentlessly commit ourselves to the pursuit of truth, especially when it challenges our thinking when it requires us to change. Do you need to make some change today? Do you recognize that you are living the way that you're living and following what you're following for some reason other than an honest and diligent pursuit of truth? If that's the case, then let's change. Let's commit to changing. Because it's not enough to pursue something other than truth and end up getting pretty close. (laughs) You know, that, that my feelings just happen to most of the time be in line with what God is saying, and so I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Now, we need to get to the heart of the issue. Even if what we believe and what we're practicing in this given area is correct, how did we get there? Because if we didn't get there with the right heart, then we can be sure that the way that seems right to us is going to end in death. If you need to make some change today, uh, if we can help you in that change in any way, won't you please... Let us know. If you need to commit your life to the Lord for the first time, the truth will set you free. The truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he died for your sins. You confess your belief in him. You bury your old life in the waters of baptism. You can have a new life by God's grace and with his power. Do you need to make that commitment? Do you need to make some change today? If you do, won't you please let us know as we sing together.